It's good to be with you this morning, Sojourn. It's good to gather together. Grateful that you're here. Um, as Mike said, if this is your first time here, uh, we're thankful that God brought you to be here this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. would love to be able to meet you after the service, so please feel free to come and say uh, hello. Um, one thing I wanted to point out this morning, something we're doing different today, is inside your bullets, and there's a little half sheet of paper uh, for you to take sermon notes. Um, so I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, just to encourage you to be attentive during the preaching of God's Word, to write down notes and thoughts and questions and all that kind of stuff, just as you're processing and thinking through that. Um, And in community groups, a lot of times in our community groups, we're taking time to process the sermon and to figure out what it looks like to apply that to our lives. And so bringing your notes with you would be helpful uh, for that time to be able to discuss and jump in. So hopefully that's helpful for you uh, to have that this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the Bible as we are every morning in preaching. Uh, and so if you need a copy of the Word this morning of the Scriptures, you just raise your hand. We'll have Matt. He'll come around bring you a Bible. I'd love for you to be able to read along with us. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. Um, it's our gift to you. I want you to have God's Word all throughout the week. But as we begin our time this morning, let's just, uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless this time. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray this morning that you would use this time in our lives, in the the gathering of your church as a family together, you'd use this in our community to help us understand how we should live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go before us, that you would go before these words even come out of my mouth and prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd bring about encouragement. I pray that you'd bring about conviction and change. Work in this time, we pray, Lord. Because we've been here, would you bless us? Help us to receive it, to heed it. Help us to be, because we take up your word and believe it to be true. Help us as a church community, as a family here in Fairfax to be countercultural in the culture we find ourselves in. And as we press in this morning, we pray that your word would press into us. And show us where change is needed, and that you would supply the grace and the power to bring about that change. And so we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for this time. We give you thanks that we get the joy and the privilege of gathering together as your people. And so we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there's a common question that we often use when we greet one another here in America. What's what's the question that we often ask one another? How are you, right? Something we ask each other regularly, how are you? And we usually expect a pretty typical answer from that. I'm good, I'm fine, doing well, great. It's kind of how we normally respond to that. That's what we expect people to say, that's what we tend to say without thinking much about what we're saying. We don't really kind of think, you know, that's a great question, let me think about that for a few minutes. It's usually what we respond with. But something else I've noticed that oftentimes we respond with, I know that I tend to do this when somebody asks me that question, how are you? I'll say, I'm good, and then I add something to that. I'm just really busy. I'm just really busy right now. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what a weird way to respond to that question. How are you? And we respond with, I'm busy. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a, it's a, it's a statement about our time. It's a statement about our lives. But I think there's a little bit more substance to what we say in response when we say, I'm good, just busy, than we might give credit to. Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor of a church up in Michigan, wrote a book called Crazy Busy. 
And he recounts the story of a woman from another culture who came to the United States and began to introduce herself to others as busy, like as if that was her name, because she had heard so often from so many Americans as they introduced themselves, hello, I'm busy. She just figured it was a part of our normal and and greeting with one another. And so she started to tell everyone that she met that that's who she was. I'm busy. Don't we, don't we just kind of do the same thing now? How are you could just as easily be turned into who are you? And our response is, I'm busy. I'm busy. In one word, we give commentary to our whole life. The American Psychological Association has found that the majority of Americans acknowledge their stress levels exceed healthy limits. The majority of Americans acknowledge that. We live busy hurried lives. Why is that? Why do we typically respond in that way? Why is it that we live these hurried lives? One former missionary, I think, nailed it on the head. He said this, in America, we are defined by what we do. We're defined by what we do. And so busy and hurried lives for us oftentimes end up being badges of honor for us. We're proud of the fact that our schedules are overbooked and that we're full and that we're tired. Because I think we can oftentimes think if I'm not busy, then I'm not valued. If I'm not busy, I don't have worth. If I'm not busy, no one's going to need me. If nobody needs me, then who am I? But the reality is, for followers of Jesus... We are not defined or valued based on what we do or produce, what we know or what we have. Our identity, if we are in Christ, is that we are in Christ. That's where we find our identity. Our peace and our joy comes not from our activity, but our adoption into the family of God. That we are children of God, sons and daughters of the living God. That's where our peace comes from. That's where our joy and our identity comes from, not from these other things. But even if you believe that to be true, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you believe that to be true, do you ever though still find yourself thinking things like, I'm tired, I'm busy, I have so much to do. Why is this taking so long? You know, I feel disconnected from people. I feel disconnected from God. Do you ever find yourself saying those things? I mean, why do we struggle? Perhaps it's more than just scheduling our lives differently. And that's a piece of it. We need to talk about that. But perhaps saying I'm busy and being busy reveals a bit more about us than we think. Because the reality is a busy life, a hurried life is connected to our spiritual life. Or more specifically, it reveals a whole lot about what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about God. And so over the next six weeks, six weeks, we're going to spend time in a new sermon series called A Hurried Life. And we're going to take time over these next six weeks addressing one of the biggest cultural idols that we all seem to struggle with. And as followers of Christ here in Northern Virginia, which I would say is maybe the capital area for busyness, the, 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 the capital area, the flagship place of a hurried life, I want to call us as a church, as a community, as a family to be countercultural in this particular area. We have the opportunity to do that. As people who say Jesus is king, I mean, our lives should look different than the people around us. But let me be the first to say, 
I am not going to preach this sermon series from the vantage point of someone who has mastered this. I'm not coming up here as a shining example to you of what an unhurried life looks like. No, very, the opposite, very much the opposite for me. This series is for me as much as it is for you because I struggle with this big time in my own life. I told Amy recently, we're, we're often living life reactively instead of proactively, kind of haphazardly instead of intentionally. Maybe some of you can resonate with that as well. And so if I set an example for you in preaching through this series, I hope that the example I set for you is one of repentance. Because I need to see this change in my own life. And I hope that you do too. Let me also say this before we jump in this morning. Some of you have hurried lives right now, but it's a, it's a hurried life that's kind of been placed on you. It's not something that you brought about by choice necessarily. The circumstances you find yourself in are outside of your control, and that hurried life has kind of been put, put on you. So I want to say this at the beginning because I just want to make sure this is, we're remembering this as we walk through this series. A hurried life might mean that you're sinning, but not necessarily. Just the sheer fact that you have a hurried life doesn't mean that that's the case. It might, but I want you to hear that just because you have a hurried life that that's the case. The bigger issue for us is how are we going to navigate our lives? How are we going to navigate our lives in taking up the truth and wisdom of God's word, not just to survive, but thrive? To thrive in a way that glorifies God in every single thing we do, whether what we're doing is mundane or exciting or full. How are we going to navigate life taking up that truth? Because for most of us, at least at some level, we choose our own busyness. We choose our busyness. So no matter where you find yourself in life right now, whether you're a student, a stay-at-home mom, a corporate executive, a teacher, a doctor, a contractor, an accountant, or a pastor, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, my hope is that God will use this sermon series to help us walk in faithfulness together. Walk in faithfulness together and live lives that proclaim that God is God and we are not. And so to do that, we're going to walk through some psalms. We're going to take the book of Psalms and just look at six different psalms over the course of this series to hopefully address and help us not just with our life and our lifestyles, but with our hearts. And so with that, let's go ahead and jump into God's word this morning and may he bless the preaching of his word. We're going to this morning be in Psalm 127. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip open to Psalm 127. And Psalm 127 is a short psalm. It's only five verses long. And this morning, we're actually just going to begin by reading the first two and spend most of our time there. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 2. This is what the psalmist writes, in this case, Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Looking at this short psalm, we're going to break this sermon down into two points. Vain persistence and productive pause. Vain persistence and productive pause. But before we get into the first point, I want to point out something to make sure that we, we get a little bit more of what's going on here. Probably in most of your Bibles, there's an inscription prior to the beginning of verse 1, and it says, 
a song of ascents of Solomon. And so that's giving us some instruction about what this psalm is about, but I don't want us to miss the significance of what be, is what is being said here. This is a song that God's people would sing, would regularly sing as they made their way traveling to Jerusalem to go and worship during a season of sacrifices. They would sing this song as they were going to this place of worship. That's what a song of ascent is. And many of the psalms that we're going to look at throughout this series are going to fall into that category. Now, this psalm in particular has a good bit of wisdom in it as well. It's written by Solomon. Solomon was full of wisdom. He had a lot of wisdom that God had given him, even if at times he didn't live by the wisdom that he had. He still had a lot of wisdom. Now, I point this out because these songs, again, like I said, would be sung on the journey of going to Jerusalem. So they're sung by people who are living and walking and and working and moving somewhere. And, And that's where you and I find ourselves in everyday life, living and walking and moving But the difference is is that you and I no longer have to go to Jerusalem to worship. We don't have to travel there to worship. Now when I say worship, what I mean is to ascribe worth or value, to, to give praise and value, set our heart and our affections of that which is worthy of it. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that God alone is worthy of our worship. But something we have to recognize now because of who Christ is and what he's done for us is he's declared that we do not need to go to Jerusalem to worship. He tells us that in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, he tells us you don't need to go to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter where you are to worship. What matters is how you're worshiping, what's going on in your heart. He says the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. How can Jesus say this? God's people for hundreds of years have traveled to this place to worship. Now he's changing everything. He can say it because Jesus is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the final and full temple of God. Because through him we are able to worship God in spirit and in truth. And what this means then for you here and now, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, is that everywhere you find yourself is both an opportunity and a context for worship. Everything you do, every moment of your life, whether you're going to your job in a particular building, whether you're staying at home and you're working there, everything you do, your whole entire life, whether you're awake or you're sleeping, is an opportunity for worship, to give worth and value to God. Now, why do I say all this this morning? The reason I say all this is, one, because it's going to be important as we walk through this particular text, but really this is a theme that should weave itself throughout this whole series, that as we talk about a hurried life, that is very much connected to worship for us. And we'll see that a bit today. So let's jump into our text, our first point, vain persistence. We see this really in verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. Notice the contrast here in this. It's so striking. It says, unless the Lord, and Lord is all capitalized there, unless Yahweh, this personal God, unless He, the Lord, the King, the ruler, the sovereign over all, unless the Lord, unless He what? Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, Unless means without exception. If this thing doesn't take place, then what happens after that is completely invalid. It won't happen unless the Lord. That's what the psalmist says. It's in vain. If we build apart from the Lord, we do so in vain. If we worry watching over the city apart from the Lord, we do so in vain. 
It's pointless to strive and work and do if God is not in it. Or, and this is where I think we need to pay attention, or if we are trying to be like God in what we're doing. What the psalmist's point in is this, is that God is Lord. He is king. He is ruler. He is sovereign over all. And we are not. He goes on in verse 2. Look at the beginning of verse 2 again. It says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Man, I don't know about you, but that's convicting to me. It's vain. He says it's, it's completely pointless for you to get up really early in the morning and stay up really late at night. Eating the bread of anxious toil. And what's he saying here? He's saying it's in vain to do that just to get more done. It might produce bread, but it's at a cost. Anxious toil doesn't sound like something I, I want or want to be a part of. But as I look at my life, oftentimes that's the case. That there's anxious toil. Anxious toil is a, a wringing of the hands, a, a, a low-level nervousness about your life, that overwhelming feeling at all there is to do when you never feel like you can get ahead. It's a, it's a worried working. A worried working. See, this psalm is in reference to someone who is working. No matter what it is that you do, whether you get paid for it or not, it's a, it's a, it's a call, it's a, it's a Challenge to those that are working. We may not build houses or temples literally, but figuratively we are all building something. We may not be watchmen over our city, but we do care about the safety and security of our lives and our communities and our homes. And so this is applicable to you no matter what your vocation is. Vocation is what you spend your time doing. So everybody has a vocation It's what you're occupied with, what your time is occupied with. That's why we call it occupation. It's what you spend your time doing. And listen, that doesn't matter matter if you get a paycheck or not. Everybody has a vocation. We spend our time doing something. And so he's saying it is in vain persistence to keep going and doing instead of taking time to pause and rest. To build and watch and build and watch and over and over and over again. Never stopping. It's in vain because God gives rest and sleep as a gift to those he loves. See, this psalm, it confronts us in our pretenses about our work and our doing. It presses on this attitude that all of us, I think, can have, if we're honest, that we believe that what we do is indispensable. Then it bids us, it begs us to relax and rest and trust God. And this presses in on so much of our culture because in oftentimes, again, we pride ourselves on our lack of sleep. We pride ourselves on how little sleep we actually need and how productive we can still be. And I think this is where the problem is for many of us. The problem is that we don't understand this is actually an issue. The problem is that we don't understand a biblical, we don't have a biblical understanding of what rest actually is. And so really, this is a twofold problem. We are told and believe that our value is tied up in our vocation, that our worth is connected to our work, that our building and watching defines who we are as a person. We see that all around us. 
ways to stay awake, ways to stay more active, ways to be more productive, ways to get more things done, ways to find more time to do those things. And we pride ourselves on our busyness. We pride ourselves on our hurriedness. In order, I think, sometimes believing that if we do more, we, convince, we can convince others and ourselves that we have value. So you take that part of the problem along with the second piece of that is that we find ourselves in this time in a rhythmless culture. So we have this, this idea put out there that your value and your worth is found in what you do at the same time married up with the fact that we live in a rhythmless culture. We have no rhythms to life. Work and rest always seem to kind of get mixed in together and work always seems to be there. We can go home and we can continue working. Most of us are at least thinking about that. All of us have these little computers that we carry around in our pockets. There's something always to do. And so I don't know about you, but I know in talking with others and even my own life, work's always at home with me, but then I find myself putzing around at work. That's weird, right? Because we don't have rhythms. No, now I'm doing this and now I'm stopping working and now I'm going to rest. Kevin DeYoung, again in his book, says, our lives are getting more and more rhythmless. We don't have healthy routines. We can't keep our feasting and fasting apart. Evening and morning have lost their feel. Sunday has lost its significance. Everything is blurred together. The faucet is a constant drip. Life becomes a malaise until we can't take any more and spiral into illness burnout, and depression. Man, it's a bad combination, a, a really a recipe for disaster. The sojourn, it is a false view to think that it is more important to get more done than it is to rest. But that having that vain persistence, that it's more important just to persist and keep going and to keep getting more done than it is to rest. And I need to hear that just as much as you do. And this leads to our second point, productive pause. And the challenge for all of us in the midst of a hurried world and a hurried life. And what's going on here? It's in vain to work and do unless the Lord, unless the Lord is with us. And at the same time, believing and receiving the gift that God gives us of rest. See, at the end of the day, I think we can boil this down into really two words, really a a core issue for us. This is about independence and dependence. Do we believe that we are completely self-reliant people? That we can be and do apart from God? Or do we recognize that we are dependent beings? See, when we rest and acknowledge that we are dependent on God and not self-sufficient beings, we start to understand who we are and who God is better. I mean, isn't it interesting that God created us to to sleep a third of our lives? 33% of your life is going to be spent laying on your back, unconscious to what's going on around you. A third of your life. God intentionally created you and me that way. But see, here's why I don't want us to forget the beginning of this psalm. Unless the Lord... See, brothers and sisters, you can rest... You can rest. You can go to sleep at night. You can take time to step away from your doing to rest because the transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God is imminently near and intimately involved in the details of your life. 
See, our world and culture is addicted to immediacy. It's addicted to it. And we're going to talk about that through this series. But we have short attention spans. We have short attention spans. We struggle with keeping anything other than today in our view. And so we toil anxiously in the midst of that. But as followers of Christ, we have to keep a key reality at the forefront of our hearts and minds. And that's this. This place is not our home. It's not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we await our blessed hope, the return of our Savior and King, to bring about the fullness of His kingdom. Will there be no more sickness, no more sin, no more death, no more tiredness, no more striving? And so as we find ourselves in this place now, we have to have a long view of life because we don't know when Jesus will come or when He'll call us home. But you and I, knowing that to be the case, should be wise with our time and wise with our lives. And a part of that is just taking care of ourselves, resting our bodies and refreshing our souls. See, something I don't want us to hear in this is just a bunch of practical things about how you can get more rest. That's important. But biblical rest is different than worldly rest. Biblical rest is different. It's a productive pause. Rest is more than just sleeping 12 hours or taking naps. Though sleep is critical, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But, but biblical rest is not about emptying your mind or sitting in front of the TV screen, just kind of passively not doing anything. Biblical rest is about filling your mind with that which is praiseworthy. Biblical rest is not a call to laziness or being a sluggard. Proverbs talks about that. In Proverbs 6, 9, it says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Proverbs 13.4 says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So we need to understand that hard work and rest are both biblical ideas. They're both biblical ideas. We just need to have a right rhythm and pattern that's driven by a biblical understanding rather than a cultural understanding. Biblical rest is movement towards refreshment. It's movement towards refreshment, both physically and spiritually. So let's talk about both of those things. Physical rest takes discipline. It takes discipline. And it doesn't just mean taking a day off, though that's important. It means fighting to get more sleep. When we spurn the gift of sleep, we make some pretty bold statements. We make some bold statements. We reject a gift. And we declare ourselves to be self-reliant. When we reject the gift of sleep, we lack humility. So I need to be awake more because if I'm not, then something might not get done. It might not get accomplished. We reject, we lack gratefulness and dependence. See, every time we lay our heads down and close our eyes and go to sleep, what we declare is that we trust God. We trust Him with our lives, that we don't need to be in control Because we truly believe, unless the Lord, it is in vain. But man, our culture has some serious sleep issues. The average American is getting two and a half hours less sleep than a century ago. Two and a half hours a night less sleep than a century ago. According to the CDC, more than 40 million Americans get fewer than six hours of sleep a night. Now, part of the problem is that we don't have normal cues that kind of force us to bed. 
We can stay awake with light on. Since we've harnessed electricity and the invention of the light bulb, we can stay awake. We have little devices that help us stay awake. Distract us to draw our attention to something else where many, many years ago when the sun went down, there wasn't much else to do but go to sleep. And when the sun came up, we got up and started our days. This gets back to the rhythms of life. We lack healthy rhythms of work and rest. How interesting is this? I think, again, I think a lot of us struggle with this. We have trouble getting up in the morning. We have trouble staying awake throughout the day. But when we lay down at night, we have trouble going to sleep. Something's not right with that. Something's off with that. See, the reality is few of us can survive, let alone thrive, with four to five hours of sleep a night. One PhD who studied depression and the effects of sleep on that said this, poor sleep is one of the most common symptoms of depression as well as one of the biggest contributors to developing depression and staying depressed. So it's a both and in that situation. A biblical scholar says that one cause of our spiritual doubt and struggles spiritually is linked to sleep deprivation. Do you hear what he's saying there? That when you have little sleep, when you don't have healthy sleep patterns, that your spiritual life is affected by that. He goes on to say, and I quote, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Amen to that. Make that a part of our spiritual discipline, right? God, I'm worshiping you by getting good rest. See, we need to understand that we are psychosomatic beings. What that means is we're both physical and spiritual beings. God has created us that way. We have a soul and a body. And what that means then is that our physical life affects our spiritual life and our spiritual life affects our physical life. And so we not only need better rhythms of physical rest, we need better rhythms of spiritual rest to nourish and revive and restore our souls. So I can encourage you and encourage me to be better about getting that physical rest, but we need to also see and think about how can we pursue spiritual rest in the midst of that. Man, gathering here on a Sunday morning is restful. It's God's gift to you and to me to be around my brothers and sisters, to be refreshed in my soul, to hear you sing, to to hear God's word read over us, to spend time in confession and prayer, to take communion together. That is a gift of grace to you to refresh your soul. Do you see it that way? It's a gift of rest and refreshment to get up and spend time with Jesus in the morning to take up his word, to spend time in prayer and commune with the living God through his living and active word. That's a gift to you to rest, to refresh your soul. Spending time in edifying community. Edifying where we're building each other up in Christ, not tearing one another down. That's refreshing to your soul. Reading soul-refreshing books, listening to soul-refreshing music. It's pursuing a productive pause, not a passive one. It's a productive pause. So there are things that you and I can change about our environment to help us get better sleep, and we should all look into those things. But if we work long and hard and do not rest, believing that we are in control, striving to be our own independent God instead of being dependent on God, we have a physical and a spiritual problem. See, I think the issue in all of this is that we can't miss this. This is actually an issue. 
And at that, it's a heart issue. Resting and sleeping brings humility to our lives. It reminds us every day that we are not in control. And control is what so many of us long for. So many of us desire. Rest reminds us that God is at work while we are not. It reminds us that unless the Lord, it's all in vain. But so often, what I tend to think is unless I. Unless I do this, it's not going to get done. Unless I don't take this responsibility or take this thing on, then what's going to happen? See, friends, our anxiousness is often connected to a mind and a heart that is captivated by what I have to do. But Psalm 127 wars against our natural tendencies. Busyness comes naturally to us. Rest does not. And you and I cannot rest, truly, we cannot rest if we are not resting in the Lord. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God and my glory will be throughout all the nations. Not my glory, God's glory, right? He doesn't say, hey, work harder so that more people know how great you are. No, he says, be still and know that I am God because I'm going to advance my glory. And you can rest in that. It is soul level rest. And it comes when you have confidence in who God is, not in your confidence to be God-like. What happens when I don't pursue biblical rest? Physically and spiritually. What happens? I'll just tell you what happens in my life. When I don't pursue biblical rest, physically and spiritually, the things that manifest in my life, but I don't see this as a gift from my Father to me, I lack clarity. I lack creativity. I can actually be lazy when I'm not getting rest. I can be impulsive. I can lack intentionality. I can lack emotional connection to others. I can be easily tempted and fall into sin. I become reactive instead of proactive with life. I'm very self-focused. I'm moody. I'm irritable. I'm angry. That's just me. I don't know about you. But I know that's what happens in my life when I don't pursue biblical rest. And as I was looking at this psalm, and Edward and I were talking about this this week, I think that's why the psalmist says what he says in verses 3 through 5. See, in verses 3 through 5, we'll read that in just a second, it seems a little bit disconnected from the first part of this psalm, but I think it's very much connected. As he talks about children, look at verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, re- the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a gift, whether biological or adopted. Children are a gift. Our culture doesn't always think that or say that. Children are a distraction They're a drain, and they can be taken or discarded. But when we look at this, we believe and proclaim that children are a gift. They're from the Lord. What this also means then is that if you are struggling with infertility right now, let me say this to you. It is a good desire for you to want children. God's honored by that. And I want you to know that as a church, if that's where you're at, we're here to journey with you in that, to weep with you as you weep to pray along with you, to encourage you in those moments. 
But the reality is we can still step back from that, whether we find ourselves currently with children, desiring to have children, believing that they are a gift. And what verse 5 tells us is that the man is blessed when his full-grown children are a blessing to him and others. That's what he's talking about in verse 5. When you stand in the gate, no matter what's going on, that my, my children are alongside of me and they are a blessing to me and to others. Now, most of us are not in that place, though. Most of us are not in that place. If we have kids, many of us have young kids. And I love that about our church. That right now, down the hallway, there are 40 or 50 kids hearing about Jesus. And, and most of those kids are seven and under. And you probably have almost gotten run over by some of them on Sunday mornings. Right? I love that about church. We have a lot of young children in our church. But as one scholar said, it is more likely that your kids will be a handful before they'll be a quiverful. Right? A quiverful is that they're, they're, they're an asset to you. They're a blessing to you. But oftentimes they're just a handful. The little years are hard. And I can say that because I'm right smack in the middle of them right now. It's, it, it's sickness and sleeplessness, discipline and discipleship, all mashed together in one big mess. Both literally and figuratively a mess. And it's, it's difficult at times. So what does this have to do with working and resting? I think it has everything to do with it. Because unless the Lord, unless the Lord does these things, it'll all be in vain. Listen, parents, particularly dads, you set the tone for your family. You set the tone for your family and your kids when it comes to work and rest. So do your kids, do they, when they watch you and they see your life, do they see you resting in the Lord or wringing your hands with anxious toil as you have to work and do more? Do they see you as a picture of that? And it's not just for dads. Dads, you set the tone in that, but moms as well. You, you, you are an example of that. Even if you are at home with your kids, do your kids see you resting in the Lord or busy with more things to do? We are called by God to steward our kids well. And so often I know I don't do this well. I don't always do this in a way that honors Christ and loves and leads my family. I get irritated with them. I get frustrated with them. I mean, just yesterday I was hanging out with my kids for three hours. That's it, three hours. And I had to apologize to them like five times because I got so frustrated with them. They weren't doing what I wanted them to do in those moments. And ask again and again for their forgiveness in those moments. I, I get impatient and distracted and I'm tired. And there are times, if I'm honest, that those blessings from the Lord don't seem like blessings to me. I'm not doing this well because I'm often not pursuing biblical rest. And this is where I need to repent. Well, this has been a wearying five years for my family. My family has run hard and I have not led well in resting well. Particularly with my wife. We've taken on a whole lot of things and I haven't been a good example. I haven't served my family well in resting well and I also haven't served you well in that. And so I need to ask you to forgive me for that as well. 
In my effort to do good things for Jesus, I've often forgotten the first part of Psalm 127, unless the Lord. Unless the Lord. See, Psalm 127 is not a call for me to be lazy. It's a call for me to be human. And it provides me with a posture that allows me to see and do things differently. A posture about life to look and see things differently. And it's all connected back to worship. Who do I believe God is and who do I believe I am? See, the problem is sometimes you and I can have, as one scholar says, a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. A blasphemous anxiety. I love that phrase. We can blaspheme the name of God with our anxiousness over our work when we're trying to steal worship away from him to do what only he can do. And if we're honest, our working long or hard is often not about worship, as if we're seeking to exalt the name of God with our hard work. It's often about worry. Or maybe even a little more subtly, just selfish ambition. But neither is pleasing to God. The other day I was working again through this series, trying to think about what we were going to be preaching on and talking about. And, and Edward and I spent some time talking through the different texts that we're going to look at. And, and I had this thought, I'm like, why in the world am I preaching on this? Like, I'm awful at all of these things. Why am I up here doing this? I, I'm terrible. I have a hurried life. But then I thought, maybe I'm actually the best person to preach on this. Because I don't get it right. Because I need God's word too. And pastors in Jesus' church should be lead repenters. And so as I repent throughout the next six weeks before you, and I hope it will lead you to repentance as well. See, I can say this and do this. I can stand up here and acknowledge these things and say, man, I don't get it all right. I don't have it all right. And the reason I can do that is because Jesus is my rest. Jesus is my rest. He has purchased eternal rest for me so that I can throw off the sin that so easily entangles and I can run the race before me that God has for me with my eyes fixed on him, the author and perfecter of my faith. And he invites you and he invites me to come to him. One of my favorite three verses in the Bible is Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says to you, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, Jesus says, lay down your anxious toil, lay down your striving, and find your joy and your peace and your rest in me. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus before. But you resonate with this because life is busy for you. It's hurried for you. But maybe it's because you're trying to find your value. You're trying to find your worth. That's where your identity is. And let me call you this morning to come to Jesus. Lay it down and come to him to find true soul rest. And for the rest of us here this morning, maybe today you simply need to just trust in Jesus again. Because the way you've been living your life over the past week, over the past month, over the past year or years, you say with your mouth you're trusting in him, but the way you're living your life is that you're trusting in yourself. 
Man, would you trust in Christ again? Come to him and lay it down. Sojourn, I need to make some changes in my life. Maybe you do too. It is hard work to rest. It is not going to happen by accident in your life. But as you seek to make changes, as you seek to work on getting more biblical rest and productive pauses, don't neglect the heart issue and the worship issue behind what's going on. Start there. Ask God to reveal to you what's happening in your heart because he loves you and he cares for you. Every aspect of your life, and he made that abundantly clear, crystal clear when he sent his son for you. To take on your worry and your shame and your selfish ambition and your striving and your restlessness and your rebellion and your desire to be God and your sin and he set you free. And so know that you are free indeed. And so come to him and move forward in grace. It's been famously said, I would rather burn out than rust out for God. I would rather burn out than rust out for God. But let me just say this morning, both of those things are complete foolishness. Because God doesn't call you to either one of those things. He calls you to a right rhythm of work and rest that's pleasing to him that says, unless the Lord, it's in vain. So friends, where are you striving in vain? Where are you not resting physically or spiritually? How might things look different in your life if you believe the truth of Psalm 127? Husbands, maybe you need to ask your wife for forgiveness. Wives, maybe you need to ask your husband for forgiveness. Parents, maybe you need to go to your kids and talk to them and ask them for forgiveness and make some adjustments in your life. Roommates, maybe you need to go to your friends or your other roommates and ask them for forgiveness. Maybe if you're just a member of this church, you need to go to another member and say, I haven't been doing this well in upholding what I've committed to you as a member of this church. Whatever it is, bring it into the light and ask for help in this journey towards biblical rest and productive pause. I mentioned families with young kids earlier. And if you don't have kids, I don't want you just to kind of ignore that part. Well, that's not relevant to you. I want you to tuck it away. I want you to remember that. I want you to develop healthy patterns in your life right now. But I also want you to hold the other parents in this community accountable. Asking them, how are they resting? How are they pursuing Jesus? How are they resting both physically and spiritually? Let me also encourage you, might God ask you, might he be calling you to serve those families so that they can pursue biblical rest? (laughs) There's people all around us. We are a family together, a community. How can we help one another in this? How can we help one another in this? I said at the beginning, sometimes a hurried life is chosen for you. And when I say that, the people that come to the forefront of my mind are moms. Moms with young kids. Single moms. You're in the situation you're in. There's not a whole lot you can do right now to change that. And maybe right now when you hear, well, you need to spend more time with Jesus, you're like, 30 minutes in the Bible or prayer? That's ridiculous. I can't find time to do that. I can't even go to the bathroom with any privacy. How am I going to get time to do that? Man, if you're in that situation, let me just encourage you. First off, just rest in God's grace for you. He knows what's going on in your life right now. Even if it's 30 seconds of just praying, it's in the shower when you get to take one. But also, ask for your community to help you. To be creative, to be intentional. Intentional. 
tell someone, hey, would you come over and just hang out with my kids just for 30 minutes so I can read the Bible today? Man, you got to let people know that. In community, let me call you to rise up and care for one another in those moments, particularly for moms and single moms in our congregation. Man, we're a family together. Let's help one another. Hold me accountable. Hold one another accountable to pursue and practice physical and spiritual rest. Living a life not of vain persistence, but productive pause. A hurried life is one of our biggest cultural idols of our day, but where might God use us as a church to lead out in a better way to live? A better way to live and function and be human. People created in the image of God and a family knit together by the gospel of God. Sojourn, let's embrace this chance to be countercultural in our cultural context for the glory of God and the good of others, declaring by how we live that God is God and we are not. As we come to the table this morning, we're going to come to a meal that helps us to rest. It helps us to rest because as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're reminded that Jesus' body was broken for us, that Jesus' blood was shed for us to give us eternal rest. This meal is a reminder that our striving does not earn favor with God. But God has given us his favor through the perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection of his son. And so if we are in Christ, we can rest because Jesus has declared it is finished. So as you come forward this morning, come in reverence, come in repentance, and rest in God's grace for you. And for those of you that are not followers of Christ, I just want to invite you not to come forward to eat the bread and drink the cup. I want to invite you to to Christ this morning. I want you to take Jesus. Are you weary? Are you tired? Man, just hang out in your seat if you are not a follower of Christ and ask God to give you that rest, to believe on Jesus today. And if you have questions about what that means to know Christ or follow Christ, please come talk to someone here in this church, whether it's me or one of our other leaders or just someone you're sitting next to this morning. We want you to know Jesus. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back, tear off a piece of bread and take a cup to drink and hear what Jesus has done for you, spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would, you would convict us, you would Convict us to show us where we have not been pursuing rest in a way that's honoring to you, where we've been trying to be God instead of depend on you as God. But as you convict us, Father, we also pray that you would change us, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit, not only today, but throughout this series, to take up your word and believe that you are God. Show us, God, how to live. Help us to rest, both biblically, to rest physically and spiritually. Help us to figure out what that looks like. Help us to be a community that encourages that and to serve one another in those moments. Lord, we love you. We thank you that your word speaks to the issues and the things going on in our lives here and now. So Lord, we praise you for your grace through Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.